Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey everybody, this is Dan Lobby. Before we get started here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, let me tell you about Football Insider, our text subscriber service where me, Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko, Alice Williams will text you with the latest on the Browns news, analysis, what we're thinking, and more. You can text us back and we respond directly to you cutting through the clutter of social media. You also get opportunities to get involved in this podcast and participate in roundtables and other events for our subscribers. It's like a little club and you want to get involved with this club. You even get a newsletter every day. It's got exclusive content you either won't see on Cleveland.com or you'll see before anyone else. You know what, though? Don't let me tell you about it. How about if you hear from some of our subscribers as to why they love Football Insider? I, I don't know why any Browns fan would not want to have this. It's great. There's something every day. I mean, it's really, really keep, keeps me in touch with uh, the Browns. The daily newsletter that y'all put out there, I, I really like that. It's got a lot of links, a lot of different read-ups. I, I mean, just, you know, you get a lot of content. That's why I like it. If I'm at work or something and I need a quick break, I can hit that up and say, oh, and in a minute I can read what you wrote and uh you know see maybe that there's further information in you know one of your other articles or something like that i get excited when i see you know my little text messages pop up <laughs> so if you want to join us you can start a 14-day free trial by going to cleveland.com browns and clicking on the box on the right side of the page it's 3.99 per month after the trial or even easier since it is a text service pick up your phone and text 216 208 3965 to get signed up. Again, to start your 14-day free trial, text 216-208-3965. Everybody, welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I am Dan Lobby, joined today by Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you? I'm doing great, Dan. How you doing? Doing well. And Doug Lay Maurice. Doug, how are you? Great. All right. It is a, uh, I guess we'll call it a Victory Monday edition of the podcast, although it's on Tuesday. I just realized that we record on Monday. So it's a Victory Tuesday edition of the podcast as you're listening to this, the Browns 34-20 winners over the Washington football team. And I thought, let's look back on the game. Let's find out the good from the game, the bad from the game, and the I don't know from the game, something we just can't quite figure out with this football team yet, because I think we're getting into a very interesting stretch with Dallas uh, Indianapolis, Pittsburgh. We're going to find out a lot about this football team. So let's figure out what we can take away from this Washington game. Mary Kay, start us off with a good. You know, I'm going to go with Miles Garrett. Uh, I, I just think that it's so vitally important uh, for Miles to be able to set the tone, uh, to wreck games, and, and to take care of, uh, of his side of the ball and make game-changing plays the way that he's been doing now for two straight weeks. I see a different Miles Garrett. I always felt like he just wasn't living up to his number one overall status. Now I'm seeing the plays that make me think he's getting it. He understands. Even the hustle to recover that ball yesterday after the strip sack, uh, that just shows, you know, that he is, he is dialed in and he wants to really make a difference this year. 
two huge plays, two strip sacks in back-to-back games. He's different to me. These are the, the standards, right? With Miles Garrett, we, we talk about it all the time. And I think some people, you know, they hear it and, you know, their first impression is it's a little bit unfair, right? I want more from Miles Garrett. Because when you watch him, look, he's really good. He's, he's pushing guys around. He's creating pressures. He's creating hurries, all of those things. I think the expectation, though, and the standard has always been, you know, you turn on that Sunday night game a few weeks ago between Dallas and, and the Rams, and you just see 99 all game long. J.J. Watt's glory days. You just saw J.J. Watt all day long. There's nothing wrong with wanting that from Miles, and I think we're starting to see that. This is defensive player of the year type stuff now. This is the stuff Miles wants. He keeps making plays like this. We're starting to talk about that defensive player of the year award. And I think it's fair. I mean, you know, this is what this is this is what you expect of stars. And so, I mean, the bar is so super high, but I don't think Miles would want it any other way, right? I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't want to just be okay. So uh, it, it is really game changing. And I, and I think the idea of, you know, what if he doesn't get that strip sack? And, and even the one against Joe Burrow, uh, you know, a week ago, what, what if he doesn't do those? This felt like, I remember feeling this very much, um, the tie against the Steelers, his second year, that opener, he created that on his own. That was a loss. Yeah. And he just made an explosive play and I think forced a fumble or something. Like he pulled a loss out of the fire. And that's what a guy does. That even it's not the stats, but can you go back in a season and say, your team won a game because of that guy? And Mary Kate, what you were saying, like that's, you could look at that. There were a bunch of other things that went the Browns way, but that strip sack, that game is right in the balance there. And that's what a player does. Yeah. Sacks and win a sack title. Great. Win a game because of you. And that's when he does that. It's huge. Yeah. I, it just had bugged me. And we've talked about this so many times too, uh, Dan, you know, even on podcasts and off. Uh, it just bothered me. And I think you too, over these first couple of years that he just wasn't that enough. You weren't seeing it. I mean, he was coming up with sacks and sack numbers, but even last year, you know, I just thought, you know, some of the, you know, the first five sacks in the, in the first two games, they, they just didn't really, I don't know. They just didn't resonate with me. That play yesterday did. And so did the one before. And just one more real quick thing about this is the fact that they have, I think they've unlocked the key a little bit to Miles Garrett. And that is they're moving him around. I always wondered why did they not do that in previous seasons? Joe Woods is, and Chris Kiffin are taking advantage of moving Miles Garrett around. And sometimes he's lining up over a guard. Sometimes he's on the right. Sometimes he's over on the left. Uh, you can find him anywhere now. And I think it's made a tremendous difference. And, and it's game to game. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I wanted to look it up. Uh, you know, in that first week against Baltimore, he played mostly on the left. Against Cincinnati, it was more of a mix, but mostly on the left. And then yesterday... Uh, he played more snaps on the right than on the left. So that, you know, game to game, it's hard to kind of prepare for who Miles Garrett is going to line up over. And, uh, you know, if you're a, a, an offensive coordinator, you've got to figure that out first and foremost. And, and if you can make life difficult on any defensive coordinator, that's a good thing. Doug, what good thing have you got? I'm going to go with the red zone conversions. I think the, the stats I'm looking at, the Browns are converting uh, 80% of their red zone trips into touchdowns. Um, that's, I think, in the top five in the NFL right now. And a year ago, that's tied for fourth in the NFL. A year ago, they were at 
And, and we can remember so much, obviously, that was a defining characteristic of early in the Freddie Kitchens tenure. There were games that were there for the taking early last year, and they couldn't get in the end zone. And there are just moments here, whether it's on the ground, they had a really nice play even yesterday that, that their initial read to Kareem Hunt didn't work and, and Baker scrambled to his right and hit Harrison Bryant in the end zone. They had just are, they had a really nice, easy, like today, David and Joku in week one, where they got, you know, it was just wide open. And they're look, it, it's looking easy at times in the red zone. When last year it was so painful, it felt like, oh, this last, these last two yards are impossible. And so whether that's an offensive line that you believe in more, I certainly think that's part of it. Whether it's the backs that you believe in more, whether it's better play calls, a better scheme, I think it's all of it. But the result is, man, weren't there times last year when the Browns got inside the five and you almost were like, uh-oh. <laughs> Who thinks yeah. no, you don't think that now, right? Now you think, okay, they have multiple ways. And it maybe fits what Kevin Stefanski does best because they're not, they're not relying on a deep passing game or anything anyway all the way down the field, they're trying to run the ball and throw to the tight end. Well, that's what really works in the red zone too. So it just feels like there's a lot of things that fit and it's working and it's making a difference early on. Yeah. I mean, it's shocking to me that they were so bad in the red zone last year because they still had so much talent on the team. I mean, how can you be that bad in the red zone when you still have Odell and Jarvis and Nick Chubb? And uh, it, it was, it was, it was painful to watch. Uh, but now I think they are also taking advantage of a really good offensive line. I think that really helps when you get down in there, you can actually punch it in. And then you've got Nick Chubb, the way that he's running is, you know, he's just relentless. He's, you know, carrying guys on his back into the end zone. That really helps. Uh, you, you did mention, you know, and they're scheming it up so much better. That has a lot to do with it. That's why they were able to score in 2018. They were Seeming the red zone, the red zone package was much better in 2018. It's good again now from a schematic standpoint. And they kind of like, you know, fell off the map with it last year. I feel like the red zone is, is really the area of the field where scheme almost matters most. You know, when you've got a little more room to work out in the middle of the field, you, you can do some different things. And certainly scheme, scheme always matters. But when you're in tight like that, I mean, you can really do some different things. And, and I, I go back to that Njoku touchdown which was just so perfect because you, you came out big and you kind of just snuck Najoku through and nobody picked him up. And you can kind of see that it's one of those plays where when you watch, you see the moments where the defense is like, uh-oh, this guy's wide open. Uh, and they just can't catch up to it. And I've seen teams do that to the Browns over and over again with tight ends in the red zone where a guy stays in and blocks for a second and then releases or sneaks through and gets open. The Kareem Hunt touchdown uh, in, in, against Cincinnati where he just got so wide open. I mean, so much of that is scheme and the fact that a defense doesn't know what you're going to do and they kind of have to react to everything. They had a really nice, the, the nine yard touchdown pass to Kareem Hunt yesterday. Um, right. They got, they had Kareem and OBJ on the same side. Odell kind of drew two defenders. Baker saw the one-on-one -on -one matchup that he wanted. It's an easy throw. Kareem gets in and again, it, it, it wasn't fancy. But it was simple execution where you got matchups, you put the defense in a tough spot, and you got in the end zone. Okay, my good is going to be the 11-play, 75-yard drive that spanned the third and fourth quarter and put the Browns ahead 24-20. Uh, that drive, 
uh, was kind of started by a third and 12 conversion with a minute left in the third quarter. Uh, Baker Mayfield to Odell Beckham. And then the Browns leaned on Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt the rest of the way coming out in the fourth quarter. I'm looking at the play-by-play here. Starting in the fourth quarter, it's a Nick Chubb run, Nick Chubb run, Kareem Hunt run, Hunt run, Hunt run again, Hunt run again, and then Baker Mayfield to Harrison Bryant on a play that, Doug, I think this is the one you mentioned that was designed for Kareem Hunt and it didn't work out. Uh, And Baker Mayfield on the move uh, gets Harrison Bryant for his first career touchdown. I think that drive right there when you're trailing, everybody's thinking, "Uh uh-oh, the Browns are going to blow this game. We were so excited for two and one, and now it's not going to happen. The Browns responded, and Baker Mayfield on a day when he wasn't maybe great made a couple of throws that he needed to make on that drive in particular. Yeah, and you know, uh, one of the things that they did on that drive, Dan, is they overcame the adversity there of Montez Sweat dropping Hunt for a five-yard loss. So that put them in third and long, and they had to come up with a big play. And who came up with one of the big plays of the game there? Uh, but Odell Beckham Jr. So that was a really nice play uh, by Baker and Odell there. And uh, again, then, you know, then Chubb rub, rubs, uh, you know, Chubb rips off a 25-yard run. Uh, you know, it just, uh, you know, once again, they finished, they closed, and they, they put that away. I, 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 that play, Mary Kay, that you mentioned, we're giving Kevin Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt, I think, a lot of justified praise for the, the doing the better job scheming things up. That play was tr- like a misdirection kind of option pitch to Kareem Hunt. They tried to have Jarvis Landry blocked down on Montez Sweat on that play. Jarvis Landry didn't come close to dropping to blocking Montez Sweat. And they went from second and five to third or second and seven, maybe to third and 12. That was an awful play call. When they're just running the ball, again, you're supposed to be able to run it. I don't, I don't know what the idea exactly was there, but it was miserable. And now you've got to be bailed out by players. And he got bailed out because Baker Makefield stood in the pocket. He got protection. He made a throw. And Odell Beckham sat down in the middle of a defense, found an opening, and made a catch he had to have. So I, I do like to point out at times, listen, I'm not trying to take credit away, but sometimes coaches screw stuff up and you just need players to make plays. I'm we watched that play three times. I have, I cannot believe that was that play they called at that moment. And if Odell drops that, if Baker misses him there and you punt there, I mean, that might be it. So I don't want to go overboard on that, but on the other hand, I know you guys have all written and talked about that third and 12 play stood out to everybody but it was set up by a bonehead, terrible call. And then you, in the moment, your receiver and your quarterback and your protection kept the drive alive that put you ahead. Okay. Well, that sounds like a good segue into the other side of this, the bad. Mary, Mary Kay, what did you put in the, the bad category? You know, my bad category was uh, that darn third quarter, you know, that third quarter was just, it was just ugly. Okay. Uh, You know, there were just a couple of things that happened there. Uh, They let Washington back in the game. They scored, they went 13 and 0 there in that third quarter. Uh, You know, Baker had the, some, there were some protection breakdowns. Baker had the intentional grounding when he was in the grasp of Montez Sweat. That didn't help matters at all. They punted, uh, you know, that started Washington near about midfield. You know, they went down, scored a touchdown, 
You know, then it comes uh, back to Mayfield taking a sack there, a nine-yard sack, again, from Sweat. Uh, and, you know, I thought that was obviously a huge play there. He shouldn't have taken a sack and said that he shouldn't have taken a sack. That caused another uh, punt from, from way deep. And uh, that started them at their 46, at the Washington 46. They go down and score again. So it was just an ugly sequence of events. And uh, they, they should not have been at that point. Yeah, to summarize, it sucked. And they went from ahead 17-7 at the half to trailing entering the fourth quarter. And again, if you're playing a better team, you might be digging a hole there that you can't get out of. Now, all credit to the Browns for getting out of that hole, but you can't be, you can't be digging holes like that in the second half against more competent teams. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot more to add. That's pretty much it. If you do that against Dallas next week, that's a team that can just kind of keep scoring. I think we've seen that that's a team that can get hot on offense and keep scoring. Washington isn't really capable of that. Uh, Doug, what do you have on the bad side? You know, I don't, I can't think of a specific example. It's like these things that float in my head. It just feels like still there are times when this Brown secondary is just letting receivers find open spots. And, you know, when like, if, if Mark Andrews and Lamar Jackson are doing that to you, I get it. But there were some times yesterday where it's like, I'm not even sure who these Washington receivers are other than Terry McLaurin. And they were just finding little holes. And it's like, I think there was one in the end zone where it was maybe in between a safety and a corner, I mean, Terrence Mitchell and Carl Joseph. And I get it. It's a coverage or whatever, but it's like, what, what is happening? There are times when it still feels like it's too easy for opposing offenses to just find holes in this defense. And it's going to be a repeated theme. And I do have like a bigger picture point about that, that I guess I'd rather be given up 12 and 15 yard holes in the middle of a defense than giving up 40 yard bombs all the time. And I mean, I feel like this defense is more set up to, all right, we'll give you some stuff and maybe in the middle of the field um, and make you March. But boy, that was part of it too. Dwayne Haskins was having a lot of trouble yesterday. And then all of a sudden it felt like, okay, well here, he's kind of finding his rhythm and how can that be possible? And it just, it, it worries me a little bit that there are times when the secondary just feels like it's not putting up enough resistance. You know, I think that is largely a function of so many injuries back there and such a lack of continuity. I mean, there's, there are times when, you know, it's just not a well-oiled machine back there. So Denzel, uh, you know, starts the game and, uh, you know, then he's out really by the second half with the groin injury. And I don't think he was really even himself when he played. Uh, you know, you still have Grady Williams out. Uh, they've rolled in, you know, different guys at the nickel. I mean, you, you had KJ in there. Then he went out and started on the outside for Denzel. You've got Terrence. There's just, you know, it's just a bunch of injuries that have caused, I think, uh, just it's just not ballet going on back there because of uh, guys just con continuously in and out of the lineup. I, uh, I'm not going to add anything to this just because we're, we'll talk a little bit more about that when my, uh, my third topic, my, I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe one of you will be on the same page with me there as well. To me, the bad, I guess I'm thinking big picture here a little bit. Uh, Jojo Natson, of course, tore his ACL. He's out for the year. It left the Browns with three active receivers uh, yesterday. And I am still a little nervous, even though this team, and I, and I haven't checked the, the data from yesterday yet, but I didn't see any plays like this. This team has not gone 
with more than three receivers on the field for one single play yet this year, unless they snuck one out there on Sunday that, that I haven't noticed yet. Uh, but that said, I'm still just a little nervous about the overall depth of this receiving core. I think it was a little worrisome that JoJo Natson was getting as many offensive snaps as he was. Uh, you might be relying a little bit too much on a guy like Kaderil Hodge. I, I think you guys know that you know, I'd like to see Kareem Hunt out there a little more as kind of your third receiver and, and a little more, uh, a little more of that role. But I, I just wonder if that third receiver is going to come back to bite this team at some point this season, or if Kevin Stefanski's scheme is just going to make it irrelevant because so far through three games, it really has been. I mean, it is. I, I... The legend of Rashard Higgins is much greater than the production of <laughs> Rashard Higgins. I mean, it's like, who's their third receiver? It's like, I, I don't know, this guy that everybody all along has said has a great relationship with Baker, and they're so I, – I don't know. Like, I don't – do you know? Why is that – he's here. I, I, You know, I get – okay, Donovan Peoples-Jones isn't playing much early, but uh, I thought that was going to be part of the answer to that question, Dan, and it's not, right? You know what? I, I really think that the coaches fell in love with Kaderil Hodge. And I think he just zoomed right over uh, Richard Higgins' head. Now, I, I think that uh, Richard, from everything I, I could tell, because I started digging into, he put a little tweet out uh, last week. Where <laughs> short lived tweet. A short little emoji. Uh, what was it, like an, a relieved emo- What was it, Dan? No, was it, it, was, little- it was an emoji that made me think, hey, Richard Higgins might be inactive this week. It was sort of like a sweat. Yeah. I don't remember. I'm not really yeah, up on was, my, yeah, my, how to describe my emojis. Yeah, a little forehead sweating emoji. Well, anyways, uh, I started looking into, you know, what that might have been about. And, uh, you know, I, I discovered that he had a really good week of practice. It's not like he got in anybody's doghouse. It's not like he's not in good standing. It's not that. It's just that right now uh, they like Kadero Hodge better. And they were trying to do some different things with Jojo Natson on offense. We saw him, you know, running some jet sweeps and different things like that. So they were kind of, you know, focusing on those guys. And, you know, I still think that there's some, some football uh, to get out of Richard Higgins. Now, I don't know if it's going to be a ton. I don't know if he's going to get a lot of targets, but I think he'll be active. Of course, I think now he will probably be uh, active with, with Jojo going out, but um, you know, I understand what you're saying, Dan. They, they don't really have uh, that third guy that just kind of strikes fear into a defense right now. Yeah, now, maybe this belongs more in the I'm not sure category, the one I'm going to use there. But uh, to answer, my, you know, my take on the Higgins thing is I think it's a skill set issue as well. If, if we look at how they were using Natson and we look at what kind of Hodge brings to the table from a speed standpoint, you know, they, they seem to like him as a blocker. Uh, it would appear as well at receiver. Higgins doesn't fit that. You're not going to run Higgins on end arounds. You know, no, no defensive coordinator is going to be scared of seeing Richard Higgins running an end around. You know, Jojo Natson is speedy. He can make guys miss. You know, again, going back to this, I, I always harp on this. If I'm a defensive coordinator and I see 19 running an end around, I'm going to shrug it off and say, go tackle the guy. If it's say 24 or 27 running that end around, I might be a little more nervous, but um, I, I just, this could be a chance for Donovan Peoples-Jones. I kind of hope it is because I'd like to see what he can do. Or maybe they have somebody, uh, somebody sitting around on the practice squad, a Taewon Taylor, somebody like that who brings some speed to the table. I just don't think Rashard Higgins has the skill set to fit how they want to use that third receiver when they have him out on the field right now. All right, uh, Doug, do you want to add something? No, I don't. I mean, JoJo Natson has two carries in his NFL career, right? And did he get hurt on the carry? 
Is that when he hurt no. his knee? No, it wasn't. Yeah, I think he was out there again. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I understand what you're saying, Dan. It didn't. It, it's he didn't still feel particularly dangerous to me offensively. No, I, I, I don't. I don't. I, I agree. With I don't think he's dangerous. I just think they liked having that that speed and elusiveness, and and we kind of saw they handed it off to him and he gained two yards. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather was, see somebody else run that play. But. Yeah, it's it's wrinkly. I don't know. I'd maybe if you want to run an end around, I'd maybe give it to OBJ. I don't know, but <laughs> who knows? All right, uh, let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the things that we are not sure about. I'm back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Doug Lay Maurice. We did the good. We did the bad. Like I said, we're not going to do the ugly because the Browns won. But we are going to do the things that we're not sure about. So Mary Kay, through three games, maybe just from yesterday, whatever it is, what's, what's the one thing you're just not certain about with this football team? Well, you know, I'm probably burying the lead here, but one of the things well, that I'm just <laughs> one of the things that I'm just not certain about is, you know, kind of what is going on with Baker Mayfield in terms of who he is, what he is, and what is he going to be going forward? Okay, you know, I mean, at this point, it almost seems like, uh, you know, you know, they really are working around him a little bit instead of through him. They're not relying on him. Uh, to make the huge play. They're not relying on him necessarily to pull out a game in the fourth quarter. And right now they don't have to, they don't have to do that. They've got their closers. They've got Nick, they've got Kareem, but there's going to come a day when you need your quarterback to go out there and put a game away. You need him to go out and win the football game for you. You're going to need him to make plays better, some better plays in the red zone. I still see him do some things in the red zone, uh, to me, that are a little bothersome. Now he did uh, he did execute a couple of those red zone plays really well yesterday. You mentioned the one uh, there, Doug, where they had Odell and Kareem lined up over there, and the two guys took Odell, and and you know that worked really well. But you know there are other times when I still see him. I think maybe put a little bit too much on the ball when he's trying to throw in the red zone or in the end zone, there was one to Harrison Bryant there when they had to settle for the field goal. I didn't think that was a particularly good throw. Um, I still think that he, he needs to show more uh, in order to be that guy that is going to be your franchise quarterback and that you're going to want to say, you know what, let's pay him $40 million a year because we think that he can take us to the promised land. Uh, I still, I, I don't know. I need to see more from Baker. So I think this is a 50 hour discussion. I think it is a hundred part series and I pretty much disagree totally with where you're going because I don't feel like Baker should be on the franchise quarterback clock game to game, throw to throw three games into his third year when he's in his first year with this head coach and this offense. And I also don't know that the only threshold for Baker in Cleveland is like, is he Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, right? That, that, yeah, that's the dream. 
But if he's not that, if he's not that level, does that mean he's not the guy long-term? Like I, I would, I would push back against that idea. And so I, I just am, I am not at a, like, even like, for instance, Harrison Bryant said this today, right? That he cut his route a little short on that throw when Baker missed him. And I thought that in the moment I texted to Ellis and I said, did he run, cut his route short? And I was like, no, he just missed him. And then Harrison Bryant said that today. And I was like, I knew it now. <laughs> Still too hot, still too high, still not a great throw. He does put a little too much juice on this thing. And I think part of the issue with Baker is everything kind of looks difficult with him. He's just smaller. He, he's like a, a feisty little guy. Sometimes Russell Wilson just like chucks a ball 60 yards in the air like it's nothing. Patrick Mahomes throws passes behind his back, you know, like that's never going to be Baker. But I feel like maybe part of that is, you know, it's a new offense. It's a rookie tight end. That's part of it too. It's not just a pure miss by Baker. So I'm a little, I'm, I'm reluctant about this discussion for sure, because I think if we go through this season, every game trying to analyze, is Baker a franchise quarterback? Is he a franchise quarterback? I think it might take away from, are they winning? I think it might take away from, is he getting better? And I'm not trying to make excuses for him because he makes a lot of money and he was the number one pick in the draft, but I'm not sure. I definitely don't think that it's like Patrick Mahomes or bust. And I just don't think, I just don't think like every time they come out of a game, we have to wonder, is he a franchise quarterback? I'm just, I'm just not there right now. And I think, I, I know there are a lot of other people are. I'm not saying I'm right on this. I just think it is a fascinating lens how different people choose to view Baker through the course of this year. But let me ask you this though. I understand what you're saying. And normally you wouldn't have to put him up to those kind, hold him to those kinds of standards, right? Because in this offense, I don't think you need to be a miracle worker. I think you can win games if you're a really good quarterback or above average quarterback. But the thing with Baker is that he is going to be due one of those blockbuster extensions pretty soon. So I do think they're going to be coming down to a decision-making time where they have to ask themselves, do we give him the going rate for a number one pick for your first round quarterback? Do we pay him that kind of money and make that kind of an investment, that huge, huge investment in him? Uh, you know, do we need to do that? Or can we get the same kind of production out of someone that's not going to cost us $42 million a year? When do they have to make that decision? They don't is, have to make it next year. Go ahead, Dan. So he is eligible for his extension after year three. And they have to make the decision on his fifth-year option next offseason. And that fifth-year option is essentially – its uh, I'd have to look up in the new CBA. It's essentially either the franchise tag value or the transition tag value based on kind of what he's accomplished. So but it's an expensive fifth-year option. They don't have to make that decision after this season. They do not have to extend him after this season, no. I, ideally, you'd love to have that answer and be able to do it like the Texans did with Deshaun Watson and uh, what we've seen with Mahomes. But no, that's, that's not an absolute. It's not an absolute, but if you do go through this offseason and you haven't extended him, even if you pick up that fifth-year option, it's a little – if you're not talking extension with him this offseason, that kind of puts your cards on the table of, of what you think of him. Exactly. That's exactly where I'm going with that. This year is, is big in terms of deciding 
how you view him and how you really feel about him. And if you're not extending him this off season and you're just kind of going into wait and see mode with him, then I think that's a huge statement and a huge pivotal moment in, in the franchise's quarterback history. And then what if he's a lot better in year four? And then you're like, oh, heck yeah, we're extending him. Then you extend him. <laughs> okay. That's like, but, I just, I mean, the idea of, I just don't, I, and Mary Kay and Dan, you understand the contract ramification of this much better than I do. If the, if the only decision is after this season, they either have to give him Patrick Mahomes money or say, you're not our guy. That's really the choice. Like you know, I, It's basically after the third season, you kind of, you, you really kind of know whether he's the guy that's going to take you to the next level or maybe he's not that guy. And so I do think this whole 16 games will provide enough data that they're, I think they're going to kind of know what they have in but him. What, but you don't think you would know more in year two in Stefanski's offense. You wouldn't say, listen, it was year one. We've jerked this guy around. We changed the whole offense. We changed his footwork. We get, you know, the, the first, his first two years here were a mess. The idea of let's use year four to continue to gather data. That's not a, that's not a possibility in the decision-making. I think it's a possibility, but I think, you know, you're going to have an idea of what he is in this offense after this season. Is it going to be complete? Is it going to be graduate level? You know, this is what Baker is in this offense. No, but I think you're going to have an idea of what he is in this offense. You're, you're going to be able to know what the expectations are and, and whether he can deliver on those expectations because we have seen him, you know, coordinators aside, head coaches aside, we have seen him kind of at his best at the end of 2018. We've seen him at his worst throughout 2019. You're, you're going to have a, an idea of what this guy is. And, you know, if you're going into this offseason, again, it, it's not so much that he couldn't turn it around in year four. I, I, I doubt there's many examples of that. There, so it's not saying it couldn't happen. But again, it is very much, I think there is a little bit of a psychology to this where if you're done with year three and you don't want to talk extension with this guy, or if you want to talk like, Hey, let's do a smaller, lower cost extension or something that's a little lower risk while Lamar Jackson is getting paid, you know, Josh Allen is getting paid. All these guys are starting, you know, Sean Watson has already gotten paid. You want to have a good idea of, of what Baker Mayfield is after year three. And look, if, if you're wrong and he comes out in year four and balls out, great then you get to have your cake and eat it too, I guess. But I, I, yeah. do think, I do think it would be very telling of what this team thought of him if they weren't talking extension after year three. I just, I just the idea that you've either got to give him like Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes money, or Bay. Well, no, nobody's getting Patrick Mahomes money. But I'm just, I mean, like, he's not. I mean, he's not that. So if he's not that, he's gone? That's what I, that's what I don't, I, well, I, it doesn't seem... Why are those the two options? Why is there not a – it has been a crap show here for him for the first two years. And the Browns know that, and Baker knows that. So I just think, yes, I mean, it's, you, it's important to go look and see how people have handled things. Um, but, like, just completely bailing on him after year three if he's pretty good. I just, 
I just don't see that. I just don't see that. And I don't know why they couldn't come to some understanding of we're going to let this thing slide into year four. We think you're the guy, but we're not giving you Lamar Jackson money right now. Well, I don't, I don't think bailing on him after year three is the option, but I well, think then, it's, then what are we worried the, about? It's the James, it's the Jameis Winston path. But Jameis the, didn't get better. Marcus Mariota path. But if we're, if we're going to act like every game in year three is a referendum on whether he's a franchise quarterback or not, that to me implies that he, he better get it done in year three or it's over. If well, you, you do have that, year four, then you have year four. And, and you're right. This is a 50-hour podcast. <laughs> but, and maybe we'll have to do the, the marathon uh, Baker pod. But remember when we were talking about, you know, Miles Garrett and, and looking back and, and – trying to remember the game that jumps out where you said he won that game or he took over that game or he behaved like a number one overall pick and he was just lights out. Wow. There just haven't been, and I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, there just haven't been very many games where Baker Mayfield just put the team on his back and went out and won a football game for you. I mean, he just hasn't really done that. I mean, that quarterback that shall remain nameless up in Buffalo right now has 10 game-winning drives out of his 30 starts. And I just think that you need to see some games from Baker where he starts to win a few games. Now, maybe they don't, you know, they, don't, they might not need him to do that this year. But then you have to ask yourself, do they need to pay him the big money going forward? I'll, I'll say this, though, because I, I know we, we got to wrap this up. This was a pretty good, I'm not sure. I don't think we need two more. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it on this one. Yeah. But I, I, I do want to say this but before we wrap it up. Doug, I think you're right in that, you know, this Washington game wasn't a referendum on Baker Mayfield. You know, we're going to have a body of work in January 4th or whatever. And maybe, who knows, maybe they'll have a playoff game too. You will have a, a body of work to kind of look back on and say, okay, this is where Baker was in year three. This is where he was at the beginning. This is how he got better or this is how he didn't get better, whatever it is. So, you know, on the, on the one hand, I mean, I, I agree with you that, yeah, maybe every game isn't a referendum, but part of it is just the nature of football, right? This is how we talk about the game. We do a podcast every day. There's hours and hours of sports talk. Some of it is how we talk about football. But we will have a clearer picture, I think, of Baker Mayfield over the body of work of 16 games. And we might not have every single answer, but I think we'll, be, we'll better be able to kind of discuss where Baker is once we get through. I mean, it's still September. So once we get to that last game against Pittsburgh, you know, I guess what we want to be saying is, is he Patrick Mahomes? Is he Lamar Jackson? I don't know. But if we can say his arrow is pointing up, maybe he can get to that point. That's good. But if we're saying, man, the wheels are just spinning on this thing after 16 games, that's when you start to get a little concerned. I have like to, 13 oh, responses to that, but I will <laughs> save them for the 50-hour podcast or part two of this discussion. Well, can I just say one more thing about this? But, and when I say this, then Doug's going to want to say something back. <laughs> so we need three more minutes. Not, <laughs> not every single game are you going to get five takeaways from your defense. Not every single game are you going to start drives at the 28, 24, 35, and 41 of the opposition. Not every single game can you count on the best defensive player on the other team leaving the game in the second quarter and not having a chance to wreck the game for you. Uh, it's just not always going to work quite like that. Not, not every game are you going to face an opposing quarterback 
who is throwing the football to your team more than almost more than he's throwing to his own team. So you can't count on things like this every week. Sometimes you're going to need Baker to be the guy that just plays really, really well. And I think he's going to get better in this offense. This offense is designed. It's designed for quarterbacks to produce big numbers and play well and throw a lot of touchdowns and very few interceptions. Not every week are you going to have Odell Beckham Jr. be able to knock down a pick. Some days I think he's going to need to just step up and be amazing. I will say, and not every week are you going to play Lamar Jackson and the Ravens and everything they do so well. And after week one, there is a lot of like the sky is falling for the Browns getting their doors blown off against the Ravens. So if we're going to like manage expectations, we've got to not go crazy when they lose to awesome teams and then not go be too optimistic when they beat bad teams. But, and, and I'll call myself and everybody else on this. I am waiting for Dak Prescott to put on a show when the Browns play Dallas on Sunday and for people in Cleveland to say, well, Baker's no Dak, that's it. And that I think is wrong because there is not a Dak on every team. There is not a Patrick Mahomes on every team. There are some really good quarterbacks in this league. There are not 32 great quarterbacks. There are not 20 great quarterbacks. There are not 15 great quarterbacks. And if Baker is the, I don't know what, 14th, 11th, 9th, 7th, I don't know, best quarterback in the league, but you can win with him, I don't know that you, that means it's over here. And, and every time he plays somebody good, I know it's going to happen. Da- have you watched Dak? Dak? Dak Russell Wilson game on Sunday? Unbelievable. That can't be the only threshold for quarterback play. It's, it would be awesome if Baker gets to that. But my main point is, if he doesn't get to that, it doesn't mean necessarily that he's not the guy for the Browns long-term. And I just don't want to play the – I don't want to be back on this podcast next week saying he's not Dak, that's it, right? So that's, that's my main point is how we choose to analyze it in the moment game to game. But I will say, I actually kind of do want to do that a week from now because the discussion will be awesome. I've loved this, every minute of it. That's what we do. That's how we talk about football. Let me give you one last Baker Mayfield stat, though, to make you all feel good about yourselves because I was curious about this and I looked it up. Baker Mayfield, uh, under pressure on Sunday, actually had a pretty good game. A 109.4 rating, a 62.5 completion percentage. Uh, He was 5 of 8, according to uh, pro football focus. And Baker has actually been one of the worst quarterbacks under pressure this season. So uh, that's good to see kind of in that week-to-week progress and that week-to-week evaluation of Baker. That's something positive uh, that we can certainly pin our hats on. All right, Doug, I know we got to let you go because there is a watch the tape pod coming up soon. What what can we expect? Got to watch the tape. It's our complimentary podcast to this main Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Me, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams. We'll do it Tuesdays and Fridays. Ellis and Scott break down stuff. We go deep on certain issues. Scott has something to spin off uh, Miles Garrett. And Ellis is concerned about the lack of speed across the board in the Browns back seven. So we'll be diving into that. And that'll be in your Orange and Brown Talk feed on Tuesday. All right. And make sure you're subscribed to Football Insider because if you weren't, you missed our live Zoom post-game show all you had to do is listen. All you've got to do is listen to it. You want to be involved in that, jump on. Mary Kay and I will be in Dallas on Sunday. Doug will join us uh, on that Zoom as well. You want to get involved and have your voice heard on that post-game Zoom. So text 216-208-3965 to start your 14-day free trial and see a football, a football insider. That's right for you. Doug and Mary Kay, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.